you know, they say if you pull, if you take a poll of two Jewish people, you get three opinions. So, um, so, um, and we're not always reluctant to share those. So, but just pray that the Ruach HaKodesh will guide us, make the right decisions, and um, be patient, please, and keep us, be patient in your prayers. If, um, persevering in your prayers, too, for us, for the faith community. If one studies Shimon Kefar, also known as Simon Peter, if someone studies his first epistle, the one can learn about, especially in from the midpoint, roughly of the second chapter, going in through the third chapter, one of a common theme one can learn about is our relationships as a faith community to various institutions of this earth. Some institutions which which their members are varying in is how much they agree with us in their worldview. We still interact with them on the same planet, even if some don't don't agree with us. You know, if a group of followers of Yeshua don't always see eye to eye on everything, how about when we're talking about people who don't necessarily even have the same convictions on basic, basic issues, basic issues of the earth and why we're here and how we should live. But the common theme of submission, which is called for at times, it's not always the easiest or most enjoyable thing to study. The thing to study is about I get to do whatever I want. I mean, that's pretty much that's pretty much the easier thing to study. However, when an athlete or an athletic team has to face one tough opponent only to have to go up against another difficult adversary the following game, they often say the media will often report that it's out of the frying pan and into the fire. Have you ever heard that expression? Such a cliche may be appropriate for students of Kepha's first epistle, especially in the third chapter. We continue with the practical angle of the second part of this epistle, which is a subsection, it's completing chapter 3, so we're nearing the end of chapter 3 of Kepha's second epistle, somewhat extended into chapter 4. It's been described as a summary call to virtue and to suffering. Oh, great, I had to talk about, I had to talk, I had to learn about submission, now I get to learn about suffering, how to virtuously do that. Oh, wonderful. First, Kepha, chapter 3, verse 8. Is a, and through verse 12, it's a bit of a bridge between teaching, teaching on godly submission and teaching of a more general nature on perseverance. We talked about, we talked about um, athletic, if there's a sport you like, let's say tennis. I've never been good at tennis, but my father was a fanatic. He would play tennis on Sundays and when it rained, they, his team, they would play tennis, they would just use a racquetball because the tennis ball would get too waterlogged. So, but someone doesn't expect to start from being, I don't even know who the big, shows you how long I've been, since I followed tennis. Bjorn Borg was the last male tennis player I was really a fan of, so probably about 40 years ago. But whoever the equivalent of, of, um, of the Williams sisters are among males, or males. but they would, one wouldn't expect to go from beginner to, um, to a Wimbledon champion overnight, they'd have to persevere, and why would we expect it to be different in, in any other aspect of our life? The appropriate identification and setting of goals is a virtue. Shimon Kepha does this here, and it's the first epistle, chapter 3, verse 8. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, finally, all of you be of one mind and feeling, love as brothers, and be compassionate and humble-minded. A number of translations are on the right track here, including the Stearns translation. 
by opening this verse with something like finally or to sum up or to conclude. So he's leading in to um, a concluding part of his argument here. It may not be obvious this is, this is the end. The verse opens with the words but and the end or the goal. The same term it's used if you studied the book of Romans chapter 10 verse 4 which is often translated the end of the Torah in Greek is telos which is clearly not, it's not necessarily the end in the sense of English the termination but the goal of something. Like the end justifies the means, some people, which isn't always true, of course, but some people will say, well, the goal of something justifies how you get good about doing that, which I'm not necessarily endorsing that, but end in the sense of the goal that you're striving to. Kepha clearly is not ending the epistle yet. We have the rest of chapter three, and not to mention chapters four and five. Nor does he mention that the virtues that he is about to extol constitute the termination of ethical living. He's not saying, well, do all these things and that'll be the end of living faithfully. He's been encouraging ethical living. Kepha here, as Rav Shaul does in chapter 10 of Romans, talking about Torah, emphasizes a goal. And just what is that goal? Well, it's multifaceted. He says, all be harmonious, sympathetic, loving ones, fellow believers, compassionate and humble. We see five desirable character traits for us too, for Talmudim, for followers of Messiah Yeshua to strive towards. Being translated harmonious, meaning, meaning minding the same, actually harmonious means minding the same thing. United in ruach or in spirit. Like-minded. Of course, Kepha would want us to be like-minded towards positive objectives, as would Rav Shaul in Romans 8.5. I emphasize them a lot because there's some, some even fictional presentations have made. They didn't, like I said, like two Jews. They didn't always agree, but some people assume there's, there was a mini-series called Peter and Paul years ago, and it implies a lot more, like they, even though they had disagreements, like they, were, like they disagreed on how to approach how to, on halacha and how to live one's life, which is, there's really harmony between the two in their teachings. Romans 8, 5 says, for those who identify with their old nature, set minds on the things of the old nature. So let me start. For those who identify with their old nature, set their minds on the things of the old nature. But those who identify with the spirit, set their minds on the things of the spirit. Of course, there's more to Kepha's goal than just a proper intellectual perspective. We should be sympathetic, or we should say one in feeling, like-minded. This is a form of compassion, similar to a later goal he mentions. This is, although not the same term, similar to what is called for in Hebrews 13.3, where it says, remember those in prison and being mistreated, and if you were in prison, as if you were in prison with them and undergoing the torture yourselves, being like-minded. Next, we're told to love as brothers or to be loving one's fellow believers. Kepha encapsulates his summary. He has five adjectives arranged artfully with the love of those in the Messianic community, in the center. The first and last adjectives he speaks of in this verse are what one thinks. The second and fourth of one how, one how one feels, love and compassion. The fourth adjective is being compassionate and tender-hearted. This kind of compassion 
is what Shaul, Rav Shaul has in mind in Philippians 2. Chapter 2 of Philippians says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from me, from your being in unison with the Messiah, any comfort flowing from love, any fellowship with me in the Spirit, or any compassion and sympathy, then complete my joy by having a common purpose and a common love, by being one in heart and mind. Do nothing out of rivalry or vanity, but in humility regard each other as better than yourselves. Look out for each other's interests, and not just for your own. Then we also have, lastly, in 1 Kepha 3.8, the humility aspect, humble-mindedness. We have humility or loneliness, lowliness of mind. A peculiarly biblical virtue, saying be lowly of mind. But it's exhibited and inculcated by Yeshua. In the first gospel in Matityahu 11.28, Yeshua says, Come to me, all of you who are struggling and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Humility is exalted via contrast in the book of Mishlei, the book of Proverbs 29.23 says, The proud will be humbled, but the humble will be honored. So by contrast, it's saying those who will be honored will be those who are humble. So following these five adjectives that he talks about, all of you be one in mind and feeling, love as brothers, be compassionate, humble-minded, in 1st Kepha 3.9, Shimon Kepha sets forth a contrast of reward versus blessing. In verse 9, a contrast here. 3.9, not repaying evil with evil or, ins or insult with insult, but on the contrary with blessing. For it is to this that you have been called so that you may receive a blessing. The, um, my memory goes, well, they say with... Well, they say with um, the two signs of senility, they said two sure signs of senility. One is loss of, is failure of memory. And I can't remember the other one. But um, I do remember far back earlier in the service, Cantor Vedder time out, you know, our need for prayer. And even being in prayer for our enemies, even how will people know about these spiritual rewards if we keep the light under under, if you can't light a candle, then keep it undercover. How will the light spread? Well, here it's saying, not repaying insult for insult, but contrary with blessing. There are certain rewards in life, but the rewarding of evil for evil or abuse for abuse is not something that Messianic Jews are called upon to bestow on others. So we're not called. There are many. We did a recent study on spiritual gifts. There's not, there's not a gift of there's not a gift of revenge or a gift of, of um, not getting mad. Like some people say, I don't get angry. They say, don't get angry. I don't get angry. I get even. There's not a gift of revenge. 1 Thessalonians 5.15 says, See that no one repays evil for evil. On the contrary, always do good to each other indeed to everyone. The verb kepha uses in 3.9 means to give back in return, to render as due. But it's a negative example here, a contrast, something we're not supposed to do. Kepha contrasts this non-reward, this negative, with a positive. 
A blessing because into this you all, it's a plural, you all were called in order that you all might obtain blessings. So you're called into this that you might obtain blessings. And the Brit Chadashah, the Brit Chadashah goes far beyond simply not taking vengeance and leaving it to Hashem. So there's, there can be, okay, I'm not going to get angry, but I know God will strike them down, so just, I'll be, I'll be laughing when they're burning in hell, but I'm not going to strike back. No, it's, it's not, it goes beyond just that, you know, to restrain yourself, but it was seen as something that really brought a good to the person. It's an active command and brought up a actual blessing to the person. God then has already given believers a blessing. We pass on what we have received. Here we are reminded that it is a concomitant part of our calling, a calling that promises a blessing from God that we likewise should give unmerited blessings to others. I say, well, they don't deserve that what they did. Well, do we deserve what we've received? So we have been given by Kepha, a great multifaceted goal. But where do we go from here? Well, he certainly studied Tanakh, the Hebrew scriptures. He references the book of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, chapter 34. Let's look at, before we look at his rendering, let's actually look at the passage. 34, 13 to 17, it's Psalms. Verses, it's 12 to 16 in some translations, but... Uh, most renderings in Jewish translations, it's 34, 13 to 17. If you do keep your tongue from evil and your lips from deceiving talk, turn from evil and do good, seek peace, go after it. The eyes of Adonai watch over the righteous and his ears are open to their cry, but the face of Adonai opposes those who do evil to cut off all memory of them from the earth. The righteous cried out and Adonai heard and he saved them from all their troubles. The 34th chapter of Tehillim, the book of Psalms, it's arranged to correspond, it's, it's an acrostic it's to the Aleph Beit, the verses through um, alphabetically in Hebrew. The verses chosen by Kepha correspond to the Hebrew letters Maim through Pei. And he begins his rendering in verse 10 of his epistle in, in 1 Kepha 3.10. He says, Forever wants to love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It's interesting that Kepha writes about seeing a good day. Forever wants to, wants to do good. Excuse me, I'm looking at the wrong one. Um, he talks about wanting to, the person will see good days. A Yom Tov, which is not a greeting any of us say, but Yom Tov it's a holiday with sabbatical restrictions, a special holiday. He applies Tehillim to those of us who might wish to love life, to see a good day, to love life. It doesn't mean that one has a trouble-free life, either in the context of his epistle or in the context of the Psalms. It suggests an enjoyment, rather, of life and contentment in life with what God has given, no matter what the outward circumstances. I asked a friend of mine once, he, he, he talked about the circumstance he was going through. He said, well, I'm not always happy, but I'm content. This calls to be the kind of attitude that Rav Shoal calls for in Ephesians 5, 18 and following. He says, don't get drunk with wine because it makes you lose control. Instead, keep on being filled with, with the Spirit. Sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to each other. Sing to the Lord and make music in your heart to him. Always give thanks for everything to God, the Father, in the name of the Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. 
We want good days. We want a lovable life. That's great. Shimon wishes us life. He says, in effect, l'chaim. But he says, l'chaim, hold your tongue. Quite a reading. One of the, one of the, um, the temptations to sin, to carnal living that, that um, this generation of observant Jews have often emphasized is need to avoid lashon hara, which is, doesn't mean bad breath. It means an, e- an evil tongue. The term, which can even be, if you study, it's not just deception. It actually can be used, how much you can use the truth still for evil. You know, a backhanded, damning a man with faint praise, they say. Um, like, what do you think? Will you give a recommendation for a guy I'm thinking of applying? Well, he was a, he was a great employee um, 20 years ago. Something like that, they might say. So the term for what Kepha wants us to do for our tongue, to our tongue means to keep, stop, keep, Quiet, relieve, from what? From evil. And while we are keeping our tongue away from evil, we could refrain our mouths by seeing that our lips do not speak. Do not, but don't, what are we not supposed to speak? Deceit, cunning, treachery. These are words, there are words and there are non-words. There are words and there are words. The words we use from this perspective are not necessarily the words that make us feel good or ideologically pure. Or on the right side of the fence. Some of us are not quick to speak up. Some of, excuse me, some of us are quick to speak up and some of us are not quick to speak up. Some of us are um, very verbally minded and some of us aren't. Some of us are very extroverted and some are introverted, and that's, that's fine. The main thing Kepha seems to have in mind, however, is the effect our words have on others. The kind of words to be given up are those that are either malicious or deceitful, and it's or deceitful. You can be malicious without being deceitful. We need to evaluate what we say, not just on the basis of our intention. But the ultimate effect as well. You may sometimes you'll have a polit you seems like politicians lately, but someone famous will say something controversial, and when they apologize, it'll be only halfway. They'll say, "Well, I, I didn't intend anything bad by that." And your intention is not irrelevant, but we have to take into account the results, not just what we intend, because they say the road to hell is paved with, I say, with good intentions. We want to love life and seek a good day. Let's let Kepha instruct us from Tanakh. He provides scriptural completion, apt scriptural completion and confirmation to refrain from retaliation. He quotes the book of Psalms. Kepha adapts the phraseology. What, we, what he here describes in a, is a life not, that, is, that is not marked, excuse me, that is, it's not marked by endless frustration or boredom. Let's continue with Kephon, his brief shiur, his brief lesson in Tehillim 34. In verse 11, he continues to quote Psalm 34. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and chase after it, he says. Like pursue it, chase after it. Refrain, restraining the tongue and doing good are the essence of both the previous context, the context when he's talking earlier in his epistle about the instructions for servants and spouses, as well as the command to bless, and the following context, which is living in peace. We wish shalom upon, peace upon each other. 
with the erotic benediction. Verse 11 commences by telling us to turn away from evil and do good. So you avoid the bad, but also do the good, passive and active. Then we are instructed to seek peace and pursue it. This peace-seeking, this shalom-seeking might lead us to think of Yeshua's words. In Matityahu 5.9, it says, How blessed are those who make peace, for they will be called sons of God. Hashem is pleased by those who reconcile their fellow human beings. But being a peacemaker is not enough. The word for pursue peace could also be rendered to strive for or aspire to seek after. And as Stern renders it, chase after. That's an excellent rendering. Seek is, you know, I would, there's certain things in my life I would like. I would like to get a doctorate sometime. But I'm, I would not claim that I'm in any sense chasing after right now. But um, this is a bit more zeal than just something theoretic you would like or you have warm feelings about. And Hebrews 12, 14 says, Keep pursuing shalom with everyone and the holiness without which no one will seek the Lord. So peacemaker, just being a peacemaker is not enough. In the party of peacemakers, we need to be in the zealot wing. Harmony and happiness of this sort, it's something which we need to zealously pursue, to chase after. In the last verse we'll look at today in 1 Kepha 3, 12 says, For Adonai keeps his eyes on the righteous and his ears are open to, his pra- to their prayers. But the face of Adonai is against those who do evil things. Let's ask, let's ask Kepha the question, why? Why are you asking us to do this? First of all, why did he choose chapter 34 of Psalms? In, the, in chapter 34, David Amelech, King David, deals with concepts. These were not incidental to New Covenant ethics, but rather they're central themes, ethical instruction, how we live. Secondly, why should we do all this stuff that Kepha encourages He's given us some specific reasons, but in general, why should we? Kef answers, because. Because the eyes of Hashem are upon the righteous and his ears to their entreaty, but the face of Hashem is upon those doing evil. Psalms 34, in Psalm 34, Hashem is alert to hear and to heed our prayers, our requests. Their confession of need must show uh, the confession of need, and he must show his judgment and punishment towards them that do evil. When they do evil, they're bound to encounter his displeasure and his discipline. God's eyes are being upon the tzaddikim, upon the righteous ones. So his eyes being upon the righteous does in fact mean that Hashem can see what is being done. But there's more to it than that. God is able to see, recognize, and meet all of our needs. God's ears here have more significance for the righteous and their entreaties than an abstract sense of there being somewhere, some force that some people call God, and then in some sense, in abstract sense, hears our prayers. It's a lot more personal than that. The fact that Hashem is person, personal God who is intimately involved in answer, the answering of our prayers is clear from stuttering Psalms, stuttering, studying Psalms 34, which is something Shimon Kepha did. In the book of Psalms 34, 5 through 9, it says, They looked to him and grew radiant. Their faces never blush, will never blush for shame. This poor man 
cried. Adonai heard and saved him from all his troubles. The angel of Adonai who encamps around those who fear him delivers them. Taste and see that Adonai is good. How blessed are those who take refuge in him. For Adonai, you holy ones of his, for those who fear him lack nothing. We need to stay sober. There is not a much better way to do so than by considering the quote, by contrast, the statement, but the face of the Lord is against those that do evil. It's in the context of Psalms 34, clearly a verdict of judgment. If one, if one is giving medication, you're given, you ever had medication, prescription, and tells you exactly, take it this time with food, without food, this time, a lot of details. Well, what happens when you disregard that? There are often consequences. There are consequences to going against to go, going against the divine counsel. Our God is the best friend one could hope for, but consciously make him an enemy and don't repent, and one will be choosing to go the wrong direction. We talk about how you live in Judaism as your halakha, as your walk. If you want to get to Santa Monica and you go on the 10 and you go east, Unless you drive a long time around the earth, that won't get you going the wrong direction. Go the wrong direction, and that will not get you to the right location. Don't repent, and one will be choosing against the way to life. Choose to repent, turn the way God wants, and one will be choosing the way to life and good days, as he puts it. In this sense... We can par excellence in the English language with each other, with each other a good day. Repent. The Perkyavot um, the, um, says, repent one day before your death. And what was the question they had of that? The question, well, how do you know? You don't know one, what's one day before you die. So what's the solution to that? They say that. Every day could be the day before you die. You choose to repent. If you have not, that's something I would suggest you take into account and do today. Shabbat Shalom.